Sarah, I need you to promise me something. What's that? If I'm ever murdered or kidnapped, please do not make up lies about me, okay? I do not light up a room. Everyone doesn't want to be my friend, and people don't automatically take notice of me, all right? I have a smart mouth and, like, two friends, and I'm going to need you to tell 2020 that. Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Welcome to our true crime podcast, Unreasonable Doubt. I am Sarah. I have a master's degree in criminal justice, and this is Christy, Hello. our social justice warrior. As a reminder, our podcast is not recommended to be played around children as we discuss gory details of crime scenes and tend to curse. It's usually me. <laughs> Today's <laughs> podcast is the Clearfield Rapist and Serial Killer. And this is a local case. Oh, yeah. Backyard. This yeah, is like right our here. backyard. So, yeah. And we'll get into it more later. But we went to the suspect's home and he's like six miles yeah. from my house. Right. And probably, terrifying. That'd probably be around the same amount from my house. Too. Yeah, because you're only a few miles yeah. away. Yeah. So, I literally could find no information on this guy's childhood or his early years. He's like a ghost. I do remember seeing an article that he was a military brat and his family settled here in Utah, so we have that. And then, according to the Utah State Prison Offender Search, his date of birth is August 2nd, 1950, so he would have just turned 71 as of this month. In 1974, he was 24, enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, and stationed at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. This is about where his story begins, although we're both pretty sure he had victimized many other people before this North Carolina rape Christy is going to talk about now. Yeah, and, and so I actually just read an article where he admitted to prosecution in his recent legal proceedings that the 1974 victim was actually his fourth rape victim. Yeah, and that makes sense, and you'll understand why as we go through this case. Yeah, absolutely. So buckle up because it gets pretty gruesome pretty fast. So on uh, January 10th, 1974, he was at a local McDonald's in Jacksonville, North Carolina. He folded up like a, a small piece of paper and he, you know how like door jams have that hole oh, where, yeah. where the locking mechanism uh -huh. goes in? So he jammed the paper into that um, in one of the private restrooms at a fast food restaurant, McDonald's, right? And then he just waited. And eventually, an 18-year-old woman entered the restroom. She closes the door behind her, but then struggles to lock it because there's a fucking piece oh of paper gosh. wedged in that little hole. So, um, and I guess we forgot to mention it earlier. His name is Mark Douglas Burns. Well, yeah. So, Mark is able to push his way in and overpower her while she's struggling with that locking mechanism. And then he rapes her at knife point at a fucking McDonald's restroom while her husband ate in the dining oh room. Gosh. Fucking A. So police arrested Mark seven days later on January 17th, 1974. And he was convicted that February 28th. Um, jurors only spent two hours and 15 minutes deliberating the verdict. Uh, he was sentenced to death. To death. What? Yes. What? Yeah. And we'll talk about that. He was sentenced to death on March 1st, 1974. The judge proclaimed, Mark D. Burns is to inhale lethal gas of sufficient quantity to cause death, and the administration of said lethal gas must be continued until the said Mark D. Burns is dead, and may God have mercy on his soul. So Mark was set to die that coming May, May 3rd, 1974. His defense lawyer, uh, William Cameron, filed multiple appeals, all of which were denied. 
And so, yeah, it's really crazy to hear that rape cases carried the death penalty. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but back in the day, it was, like, normal. Um, Um, In fact, it was the required sentence for most convicted rapists in North Carolina at the time. Now, things were about to change because in 1975, North Carolina lawmakers passed a new bill that would vacate some of the death sentences for rapists who committed their crimes after April 8th of 1974. Wait, but his was before. Yes. So he doesn't technically qualify for this new bill. His case was in January, but the judge seemed to make an exception and resentenced Burns to 25 to 30 years. The documents do not state why the judge ignored the guidelines of the new law that should have kept Mark Burns on death row. So now he's not, you know, on death row anymore. But by the time that his death sentence was vacated and he was given that 25 to 30 year sentence, he was already fucking eligible for parole in like another six and a half years. So he ended up serving 13 years in prison and was released in 1987. Well, and you know, I'm not too angry because I don't, I I don't, I guess depending on the circumstances, I don't think that rape should carry a death penalty. Oh, I don't agree with that either, but only spending 13 years. In yeah, second. yeah, yeah, that I disagree with. Um, so then in 19, it was either 87 or 88, I couldn't get like a clear date, but um, so I had just said he was released in 87 and then either later that year or the next year, he was convicted of being a peeping Tom. So he was caught looking into the window of this woman, but this doesn't revoke his parole. That pisses me off. So then a year later, he's caught looking into more windows and they arrest him this time and they sentence him to another year and a half in prison because it violated his parole. Mm -hmm. So he's released in late 89 and he moves back to Utah. Which is another violation of his parole. Like, this man, I mean, mm. I, okay. So, I think the teeping, the peeping Tom bit was actually, like, him gearing up to start um, attacking women in their homes. Yeah, that will make more sense later. Um, and actually, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, he actually did rape some women yeah. and it just didn't get, like, like pinned yep. on him. Um, because, yeah, I think he was doing, like, reconnaissance or some shit, but... He got caught, which was good. Um, But so DNA back in like 89 to 91, it was still in its infancy back then. So there's probably, like I said, a lot of victims that we don't know about because DNA wasn't like really a thing. Um, DNA wasn't used until 1986 in criminal cases, which to me, the nineties are still like 20 years ago. So, (laughs) so 86 seems like not that long ago and many law enforcement um, agencies they didn't have the funds or the technology to employ this new dna science makes sense so an interesting bit of history is the rape kit was developed in chicago in the mid 1970s by lewis r vitulo who was the chicago crime lab's chief microanalyst who worked on high profile cases vitulo is often credited as the developer of the first kit However, it was originally researched and proposed to Vitulo by Martha Goddard, who was a victim advocate and founder of Chicago's Citizens for Victim Assistance organization, and she herself was a sexual assault survivor. So in the 1970s, after the women's movement had gained traction, the media began to cover the reporting of rape and other forms of sexual assault. Martha wanted to create a comprehensive rape kit 
rape evidence collection kit and lobby for its adoption by law enforcement agencies. Yeah, there's so many big words in there. Yeah, there's a lot of big words. <laughs> so my favorite part about all of this um, information about how the rape kit was developed is that through Martha's friendship with businesswoman Christy Hefner, Martha acquired funding for the kits from the Playboy Foundation. What? Yes. So, and that's the charity founded by Hefner's father, Playboy founder, Hugh Hefner. Go, Hugh. <laughs> um, anyways, the rape kit was first utilized in 1976 in Chicago, and it quickly became standard practice at the hospitals there in Illinois. By 82, New York had adopted the kit, and in 84, the FBI was briefed on it. From there, the Department of Justice provided Martha with funding so that she could travel to, to all the other states and help them to uh, begin their own rape kit pilot program. And that's your history lesson for today. Well, very interesting. It actually is. I, I really enjoyed that rabbit hole. So like I said, in 1989, DNA testing and rape kit technology, they're relatively new to law enforcement. Yes. So it's unlikely that if he did have any victims in the late 80s, I mean, there probably wasn't any DNA collected. Right. So we do know, so um, we'll, we'll go through, we know of 11 cases. And so they'll kind of be numbers rather than names because yeah. we don't release names of victims. There is one victim's name who is released and it's not us uh, breaking any confidentiality. She put her name out there so that she could expose the horrors that Mark... Yeah. inflicted on her so so like christy said this fucker raped 11 women and must be honest it was more between 1991 and 2001 yeah oh yeah i highly doubt that he wouldn't have committed any crimes from 89 yeah. to 91 considering that as soon as his ass got out of prison he was peeping tom yeah. looking for more victims mm -hmm. yeah fuck that so multiple victims reported being bound and sexually assaulted repeatedly over a period of time their attackers smelled of alcohol and used either a gun or a knife to subdue them. Multiple victims lived in apartment buildings, and the attacker was suspected to have gained entry through an unlocked sliding glass door. Additionally, the police department wrote, family members were forced to watch the violent and repeated attacks. Oh, so fucked up. I just, so ugh, so fucked up. So, the first reported attack was in Rock Springs, Wyoming, and the early morning hours of June 10th, 1991. The victim was a 14-year-old female. Her family Ugh. reported the man crawled through her bedroom window and forcibly raped her at gunpoint. That's so horrible. Right? He left through the same window and then ran into the night. He did leave behind semen, but like we mentioned earlier, being that DNA testing was still in its infancy, only blood type of the assailant was immediately identified, and there were never any suspects. Ugh. Mark's next victim was his youngest victim, and that was 11-year-old Nicole Eyer. This one occurred on May 2nd, 1992 in Riverdale, Utah. Nicole had been sleeping on the living room floor when Mark made entrance through the sliding glass door. In Nicole's own words, quote, One of my parents turned on the kitchen light. The guy put a knife against my neck and whispered not to scream and not to do anything. I could hear a cupboard being opened, then the fridge... Some pouring of a liquid, I was trying to send a silent plea. Please check around the corner, and at the same time, don't check around the corner. The blade was smooth against my neck. I didn't know what would happen if the person did check on me. When the light went back off and we heard the door shut, the man spoke again, wanting to know how many people were in the house. Oh my god, that's so Being terrifying. 
wanting someone to help you, but also not wanting them to be like exposed. Yeah. Right. No, no eleven-year-old should have to be put. They're they're still a child at eleven, and oh, that that gives me just the creeps yeah. and like the chills and that fucker. That's gonna be like his term of non-endearment this entire time so at this point burns was obviously spooked so he decided to take nicole from the apartment and he raped her in the Uh. back seat of his car in a nearby parking lot and i will also mention that afterwards he took her back to her house yeah but you know i was thinking about that and that's better than killing her no i'm saying that's what like it's surprising yeah that well, at this point, he's not a murderer yet. Well, you're right. You're right. But still, like, when it says that he was spooked, just fucking leave the kid. You've already traumatized her enough. Right. You don't have to take her from her house to a nearby parking lot to rape her, to return her to her fucking house. And Sarah and I, because this, like we said, this is in our backyard, you know? Yeah. So we um, we actually went to these locations, and we found the apartment buildings. But Pretty detective work, might I add. Yes. They're not listed anywhere. No, and we're not going to list them either. Um, we will put photographs of the parking lot, though, that um, it is confirmed was where she was assaulted. Um, it, it's just, I, there's no words for just the disgusting, heinous shit that this guy puts people through. Yeah, and you could, um, you could obviously tell that... It would have been easy to get into one of those unlocked sliding glass doors because oh yeah their little balcony so to say they they were on ground level so they must have had a ground level apartment so, yeah yeah and then and then that parking lot it wasn't even a quarter of a mile away yeah I no. mean it's walking distance Absolutely. and I hate walking <laughs> <laughs> so moving on there isn't much information like like we said earlier on the sexual assaults uh, we're gonna say three through nine, but Christy was able to collect the basic information. So number three would be in Ogden, Utah on July 23rd, 1993. The victim was a 51-year-old female. The suspect used a knife to subdue her. Number four would be Clearfield, Utah, February 14th, 1994. Age unknown, and Mark used a knife in that one. Number five... Clearfield, Utah again, March 12th, 1995, 52-year-old female, um, he used a gun and a knife. Number six is Laramie, Wyoming, May 19th, 1996, 23-year-old female, weapon unknown. So we will post some pictures of maps to show where all the known rapes occurred. Yeah, and it seems that he really preferred Clearfield for some reason. Yeah, I guess that's how he got Clearfield rapist. Oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there are several more known cases. Although Burns refuses to disclose how many women he has sexually assaulted, which to me is just like a telltale sign that there are more, and he's just waiting to find out how long it takes us to figure them out. Mm -hmm. So Layton, Utah, uh, July 1st, 1997. And can we also mention that these are like one a year? Yeah, it is one a year. Yeah, and but I I fucking doubt that. Anyways, it was a 22-year-old female, and he used a knife in this assault. The next one is Clearfield, Utah, again, September 3rd, 1997. Oh, so it was two in that year. Yeah, see, that's why I said that I yeah, don't feel no, like, yeah, like there was more. only one a year. This one, we don't have an age or a weapon. Then there is Clearfield, Utah, 
again, May 14th, 2000, age unknown, weapon unknown. Clear yeah, field. So he, he didn't go from 97 to 2000 no. without doing anything. No, no. Um, and he also really hated Clearfield because here is another Clearfield, Utah um, victim, July 29th, 2000. So a 29-year-old female, she wakes up, wakes up in the middle of the fucking night and there is a man straddling her. Gosh. He held a knife to her throat and told her not to say anything or he would cut her throat. So then he, he tore her shirt up, ripping it with his knife, and used her own fucking clothing that he's torn up to tie her up and blindfold her. But then, I, I don't know, like, if the blindfold wasn't good enough or whatever, because then he tapes her, the blindfold, to her eyes Jesus. as well. Then he proceeds to sexually assault her violently and repeatedly, I mean, while threatening her life. Afterwards, so once he has left she had to unbind herself then she called 911 um, she locked herself in the home until police arrived on scene and were able to secure the area to make sure the suspect wasn't still there almost a year later uh, may 22nd 2001 here is another clearfield clearfield police receive an urgent 911 call from a family another woman awoke to find a man in her bedroom wearing gloves and a nylon stocking over his head. He had come into her bedroom while she and her husband were sleeping in bed. Man, no fucks. No fucks were given. So the woman is 46 years old. Uh, she told the police that the man pointed the gun at her and her husband and instructed her to tie up and blindfold her husband. Jeez. Then he asked her if anyone else is home, and the woman told him that her brother and her 19-year-old daughter are in the home. So he forces the woman to show him where they're sleeping. Then he brings everyone into the master bedroom and ties up their wrists and ankles. Then he proceeds to repeatedly rape the woman and her 19-year-old daughter oh while forcing the other family members to watch. And it, it, it greatly upsets me. His primary focus became the daughter. Mm. Um, who he sexually assaulted the most. So while this is going on, the woman's son comes home from work, like in the middle of the attack, and is immediately confronted with a gun pointed to his forehead. As well, he is bound and gagged. And um, once he's restrained, he had to sit and watch as Mark finished assaulting his mother and sister. What the fuck? I, it's just, it, it gets worse. <laughs> Before the suspect left, he had the fucking audacity to demand money from the family. Mm, yeah. So, remember, her, the uncle's there, right? The yeah. mother's brother's there. So, he, the, somehow Mark found out he had $100. So, the suspect made one of the victims go and retrieve it at gunpoint. And, no, you know what? I lied. The fucking audacity is what he did next. Okay. <laughs> Here's the fucking audacity. After carrying out these brutal assaults, he kissed one of the victims on the mouth and said goodbye like he oh was her fucking God. boyfriend and walked out the door. And this is not me being dramatic because I am dramatic. It was actually the detective of the case that said that the suspect kissed the victim and said goodbye like he was a boyfriend. Like what the actual fuck, what there kind of fuckery no is going on here? There are no words. <sighs> okay. So not only is Mark Burns a serial rapist, this fucker, he is also a serial killer. The audacity is so strong with <laughs> right? this man. 
Burdens confessed to three cold case homicides, partly because he wanted to receive the death penalty. Ugh. He did give enough information to the FBI to prove that his confessions were not false. So, according to Burns, these homicides were not sexually motivated. Yeah, I don't know. Right? On July 18th, 2001, 28-year-old Sue Ellen Gunderson Higgins was found dead in her Evanston, Wyoming home. Her husband found her when he returned home from work. She had two bullet wounds to the head, and their two-year-old was found playing in the backyard. Oh, shut up. That's so horrible. Hopefully, he was, like, in the backyard the whole time and never saw his mom. I know. The murder weapon was never found. Investigators continued to work the case for years. The, her, widow, her widowed husband and child, they moved away from Evanston. However, in July of 2005, four years after her death, her husband, Sean, was arrested in New Mexico and charged with her murder. Ugh. The Evanston Police Department reported that they had compiled enough evidence to secure an arrest warrant. They stated that Sean had shown no emotion when officers arrived at the house, that the couple's marriage was not actually a happy one. The murder scene was too orderly and there was no forced entry. And Sean's clothing was marked with blood described as high-velocity blood splatter. You know, and I hate to say it, though, but, like, you always suspect the, the spouse first. Yeah. I mean, that's... And there... Yeah. Yeah, it was... There was no, like, struggle or anything that appeared to have happened. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. They seem to have closed the case. However, in March of 2006, the Uinta County attorney, Mike Greer, dismissed charges without prejudice, citing irregularities in forensic evidence analysis. A statement issued at that time by the county attorney's office reportedly said, quote, that proceeding the trial given recent developments would be ill-advised and not likely to result in a fair resolution of the case, unquote. The case became an, became an inactive cold case. Well, at least they didn't, like, take him to trial. Right. So that's really good that they, they realized that they didn't really have anything against him. Because then, Evingston police were contacted by Utah law enforcement agencies after Burns confessed to murdering Ellen. So Burns provided material information about the cold case during multiple interviews with Utah authorities. He told investigators he went to Evingston during the summer of 2001 to commit an armed robbery. Because remember, it's not sexually motivated. He just wanted to, you know, commit an armed robbery because, because he was, quote, bored with the rapes. I mean, he had to mix mix stuff up. (sighs) No, no. When I get bored, I usually take a fucking nap or spend like three hours on TikTok. I mean, okay. Normal people do. Oh, so Burns, um, so, so he saw Sue, um... Is it Sue or is it Ellen or is it Ellen Sue or am I just making up her name for some reason? Sue Ellen. Let me get it right. So he sees her pull up into her driveway, right? And like unloads the kid and and all of her stuff. And then he poses as a representative of the Chamber of Commerce and he knocks on her door. He claims that he lost his pen and she invited him inside, at which point Burns pulls out a gun and he tells Higgins that he's going to rob her and instructs her to sit in a chair. And you know what? I would do the same thing that she did. She reaches for a phone, and that's when he shot her in the head. Uh, Burns recalled the details during his arraignment hearing, saying that he killed her, took her money, her credit cards, and a camera. 
He said he never planned to kill Higgins and that he, quote, reacted badly. Reacted badly. (laughs) No, it gets worse. This fucker actually, he actually said about this incident that it was, quote, totally my bad. Um, And actually, I have the... Oh, my God. (laughs) My bad. My bad. Yeah, and I have the audio, so let's, uh, let's play that really quick. She did nothing wrong. It's totally my bad. It was just a, a situation that just went to sh- instantly, and I chose the wrong way to handle it. Yeah. Hey, totally my bad. Totally my bad. Um, so Burns pleaded guilty as part of a plea deal, ensuring that he'd spend his life in prison without the possibility of parole. In Wyoming, a first-degree murder charge carries the possibility of a death sentence, but Burns avoided that with the plea deal, which really strikes me as odd because he wants to be executed. Yeah. It, so I don't understand what happened here, but we actually we have another audio of Burns telling us how he wants to be executed. You were on death row in the past. Do you want to be on death row? I would rather be executed than spend the rest of my life in prison. Guess what? No one gives a fuck what you want. No one gives a fuck. So the two other confessed homicide cases were in Oregon and Arizona. News outlets are not revealing specifics about these cases in order to protect the integrity of ongoing investigations. So we may have a part two of this podcast in the future. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, right. I mean, 2019 is when shit went down, so it it was just recent. Yeah, yeah. Byrne says none of his murders were planned and that they were killed in self-defense. I highly doubt yeah, that. Yeah, right. He said he does not object to being labeled a serial killer. Quote, if that that's what it is, then that's what it is. Unquote. <laughs> Burns responded, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it is what it is. If that's what I am, then that's what I am. He, oh my gosh. <laughs> so poetic, Burns. Right? So poetic. He classified the killings in Oregon and Arizona as self-defense. In Arizona, he claimed to have murdered a transgender hitchhiker he had picked up while driving on a truck route. He attempted to justify the killing by saying that the woman had promised sexual favors in return for the ride, but he discovered that the woman was biologically male and said he shot her dead. How the fuck is that self-defense? It's not. It's being a transphobic. So Burns is quoted saying, quote, but that person deserved it. Oh, this motherfucker. So, yeah, like Christy said, how is that self-defense, bro? Bro? So so transphobic violence is inexcusable in our opinion. Absolutely. And if the current rate of trans homicides continues... This year may match or exceed 2020's devastating record of fatal anti-trans violence. According to the Human Rights Campaign, there were 45 transgender and gender non-conforming persons murdered in 2020. Just in 2020? Yeah. Fuck. So that's up from 26 murders in both 2018 and 2019. Oh, that's like almost double. Yeah. Transgender people, particularly black and Latina transgender women, are marginalized, stigmatized, and criminalized in our country. They face violence every day, and they fear turning to the police for help. No one should be forced to live in fear. Absolutely not. And, And speaking of fear, this fucker, Burns, his reign of terror lasted 30 years. Um, Not including the victims prior to his incarceration in North Carolina in 1974. Because, like I said, like, he was 24 then. I, I personally 
would not be surprised if he has like some sealed juvie records and oh, some yeah. other I shit. I have been able to find stuff. I but... know. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what brought him down. What's this. That? Oh my god, it's so fucking disgusting. So the 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 thing that brought him down was his fucking tongue. What? Wait. What? His tongue. His fucking. T- it makes me like so sick. I don't like tongues. Um, <laughs> he he liked to lick his victims as he sexually assaulted them. That as, goes, that's on, on brand for him. It, that's so fucking disgusting. Like, so Jesus. fucking disgusting. Um, but, I mean, I guess the positive side is that this is how police were able to obtain his DNA in some of the cases where they couldn't get the semen DNA or anything like Thanks, that. Thanks, Mark, yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> So he would, like I said, lick parts of their, his victim's bodies, whether it be through oral sex or licking a breast or a cheek or what the fuck ever. So investigators took swabs to collect the DNA. The fucking degenerate asshole. So um, now there's a lot to how he's been caught. We'll give you the abbreviated version, because um, obviously just saying, like, his tongue and DNA is not going to be enough. As we discussed, Clearfield Police Department investigated multiple, multiple, I don't even remember, I might have to go back and, like, recount how many of those we said were in Clearfield, um, but multiple aggravated sexual assaults between 1994 and 2001. So during those investigations, DNA evidence was collected, as well as other evidentiary items. In 2003, the Clearfield Police Department, I mean, they're desperate not to lose this evidence because there's a statute of limitations on rape. Yeah, so this is this part is super cool. I'm oh, I love super this. super stoked about this. So detectives came up with a very forward-thinking idea of having a judge sign a warrant of arrest for a John Doe based on the DNA profile they had. This essentially stopped the clock on the statute of limitations. The warrant was for the sexual assaults that occurred in 2001 and 2003. At that time, the rapes that occurred in 94 and 95 had not been connected to the 2001 and 2003 cases. Yeah, and and then in uh, 2010, so time has obviously stopped on the statute of limitations and it's, it's years later, but due to the advancement of DNA technology, Four other sexual assaults were linked to the 2001 and 2003 Clearfield cases when the DNA was entered into the Combined DNA Index System, aka CODIS. So in May 2015, five years later, I mean, you know, justice is moving slow, but it's moving. Absolutely. Right? We're, yes. So several law enforcement agencies initiated a cold case investigation into these multiple sexual assault incidences. Incidences is not a word. Incidents that occurred in Clearfield, Layton, and Ogden, Utah, as well as the Laramie and Rock Springs, Wyoming. In 2015, cold case, oh, sorry, cold justice sex crimes aired uh, an episode, a serial killer, or I'm just making shit up now. Okay. In 2015, Cold Justice Sex Crimes aired an episode, A Serial Case. So they highlighted all these sexual, serial sexual assaults. In 2017, Clearfield PD sent the DNA profile to a genetic genealogist, Dr. Barbara Ray Venter. So Dr. Ray Venter 
um, some of you might have actually heard about her. Um, she actually said She's that. A badass. Yeah. She is. She said that this is one of the longest and most difficult cases that she's worked on. So, like I said, you might know where she's from. She is known around the country for helping to solve the Golden State Killer case. Yeah. She was also named one of Time's 100 Most Influential People of 2019. I know. Like, she is the woman. So in 2018, Dr. Ray Venter was able to link the DNA to a man that lived in Ohio that was likely a second cousin of the suspect. This is so wild. It is so wild. She actually had, there's so much more to it, but like I said, I I thought it would be too confusing, but she had to do like a family genealogy type thing. So the man's mother had been adopted and law enforcement was able to petition Ohio courts to unseal the adoption slash name changes records. And there was a whole other story that I didn't even include here about how like the building that held the records burned down. Oh, shit. I know. It's insane that we got to where we are. Wow. So they were able to find the mother's birth name, which was Burns. Boom. Boom. They narrowed down their search to the stepbrother of the suspect. So now we're getting closer. They obtained the stepbrother's DNA covertly, but then ultimately ruled him out. During an interview with said stepbrother, police were able to find out that he had a half-brother. Is it stepbrother or fucking half-brother? Because I have both of them here. Yeah, they originally thought he was a stepbrother. But he's a half-brother. But he's a half-brother, so that means they have similar DNA. Yeah. So... They find out that he has a half-brother that lives in Utah, Mark Mm, Douglas fucker Burns. Detectives legally retrieved Mark Burns' trash from his curb and DNA was a match. Because, you know, once you put your trash out on the curb, you're like, yeah, you're like relinquishing ownership of it. Yeah. Burns was arrested at his home in Ogden on September 25th, 2019 body camera video released by the Clearfield Police Department shows Burns acting confused as officers detain him and transfer him to the station. Yeah, and we actually have audio of that. So let's see. Make an arrest. So the arrest team basically just decided the easiest way to do it would just be go up to the front door and knock on the door. Mark? Yes. Hey, Detective Swenson. How are you doing? Hello. Oh, yourself? Go ahead. Hey, you to talk to me for a minute? Sure. Okay. We need to take you up to the office with us and uh, have some questions for you. Have another investigator who wants to talk to you. About what? Uh, you know, I have no idea right now. I'm just an investigator. Asked us, we were swinging by, said, hey, stop by. If Mark is here, pick him up. He didn't see it coming when they arrested him, and, and it, it went down smoothly. That's so fucked up. <laughs> not not fucked up how they arrested him. Sorry. I was just, just like his demeanor was just like, oh, what's this about? Yeah. Like, I have no clue why you would be here. Right. And then, and then he says, we don't have the audio for this part, but he says, you're going to handcuff me? And yesterday, we were able to take a jaunt out to where this fucker lived. A little muck duck. And we, uh, we walked up to the front door right there where he, um, he was arrested. Yeah, we'll have to put the video, but you can tell the immediate moment that I get kind of like nervous because I think that someone's home. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) But it's, yeah, it was surreal. It, yeah, I mean, because it was just in, like, this normal little neighborhood, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and I didn't include it here in my notes, but I remember, like, 
his neighbors would go on and on about surprise surprise because they do this about every serial killer such a nice guy oh, and blah 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 blah, blah. but you know it is such interesting it is interesting he actually like gave one of his keys to one of his neighbors and he had no problem with that neighbor like showing up at his house to like check on things oh, wow. that i thought was a little but i mean i guess he probably didn't keep any of his shit yeah, at the would, house because yeah. he always did it in clearfield i digress yeah. So, Burns was cooperative and cordial initially with investigators until he finds out why he is there. He was informed that he was a suspect in a rape case. So, Burns becomes upset. Yeah, we got the interview. Yeah, it's audio here. Yeah, we won't play the whole interview, obviously, because that would be too long. But here's, here's my favorite part. Now in custody, police question Mark Douglas Burns. Now, will you answer my question, why am I here? I sure will. He wants to know, why am I here? What are you asking me these questions for? Have you ever been convicted of any sex assaults? I have. You have? I have. Tell me about that. I was convicted of rape in North Carolina. And Detective Carlson finally told him we're investigating a rape case. And when, when he did that, um, Mr. Burns was visibly upset. Is that what this is? Is this a rape charge? Yes. So in case you couldn't hear it, Burns says, is this what this is? A rape charge? Fuck. I know. (laughs) He didn't say that enthusiastically, but... No, I I like your enthusiasm with it because it... Well, I don't have the video of it, but like just his reaction to it. Yeah, it, it was it was priceless. Yeah. He was confronted confronted with DNA being linked to him to multiple rape cases. He acted surprised that his DNA was obtained and a match to several cases. He then shuts down with investigators and asks for a lawyer. At that point, they inform him that they have a DNA search warrant to obtain a DNA sample from him, which they do this to make a more solid case for the court so that he couldn't say that the DNA collected from the yeah. trash outside his residence is someone else's. Yeah. Okay, so now I just have a bunch of quotes from him because um, I I just think that his quotes are... He's very quotable. He is very quotable. I don't even, don't even know a word for it. But he said that his goal was to not be caught. Um, surprise, surprise, right? Who wants to be caught? Right. But now he has this sense of relief. Uh, so here's first of many quotes. He's quoted saying, I've had a great weight off of me. Okay. Uh, his next quote is, my brain does not function properly. Mm. Uh, agreed. His next quote, I am a sexual deviant. I am a predator. I had a compulsion that was irresistible. It was unsatisfiable. I never admitted it to anyone. End quote. I will agree with his statement. Yeah. He insists that the last time he committed a crime was in 2001 but that he had, quote, more normal feelings that started to evolve. Normal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then he, here's another quote. At first, I kind of missed it. The excitement, the adrenaline rush. Um, But that (laughs) he's starting to think that he knows what guilt feels like. Um, So, yeah. I mean, it only took 30 years to figure out what guilt feels like. Right. Anyways, so Burns says that he's willing to confess to every crime that he has committed, but like we said before, that he's not ready to reveal the total number of rapes that he's involved in. So basically what he's saying is, 
if you find out a case that I'm, you know, connected to, then I'll admit to it. Yeah. But otherwise, fuck off. I'm not telling you. Right. Um, so let's see. Uh, he also had the nerve to say, this one really, really pisses me off. Quote, you know, I never experienced love. I don't know. Maybe, maybe these crimes were just some way of me actually being able to present my whole entire complete self as a human being to another person, whether they wanted it or not, end quote. What the actual fuck? I know. So, and then it's a real surprise when he says that his dating life wasn't very successful because he wasn't able to be fully honest with a woman. I know, but he must have had some sort of success because after some deep diving, I found out he has two daughters and they are not involved in his life. And, you know, you hear these stories where like a lot of guys were like, oh, like my viewpoint on women changed after I had my own daughters. But evidently that wasn't the fucking point for Burns. So let's just, you know, read some more of his. uh, Yeah, let's. His quotes. So here's another one. Quote, I don't know if it's a chemical imbalance. Maybe I've got an extra Y chromosome. Maybe I've just got a loose wire. I don't know. My brain does not function like a normal human being. No shit. Yeah, I feel like he's just trying to come up with like any excuse to justify like these heinous crimes. But you know what the problem is? You're a fucking predator, a sexual deviant and a coward. That's what he is. Um, Despite these depraved crimes... He says that he thinks he's a fucking responsible citizen, a good neighbor, a good friend, and a good employee. Stating, quote, I think I'm basically a decent human being. If it wasn't for the fact that I am also a monster. Mm. (laughs) Wow. Sage. Yeah. Last quote, um, just because I I couldn't decide, like, which ones to to put in here and which ones not, because they're all so good. So last one, last one. Here's the audacity. Quote, I'm a Marine. I've always had a very high sense of honor. End quote. What kind of Jekyll and Hyde shit is going on with this man? And to think, Christy and I were just talking about this yesterday. We probably were in the same place at the same time as this man at some point because... He's in he our backyard. He literally lives in the same city as us. Yeah, I guarantee you I have, like, walked by him at some point in my life. Fucking so, A. Burns is charged with eight counts of aggra- aggravated sexual assault, six counts of aggravated kidnapping, two counts of aggravated burglary, and one count of aggravated robber- robbery, all first-degree felonies. Initially, Burns pleads not guilty, but then shocked the court at his pre-trial negotiations when he pleads guilty to all the charges. So the 17 charges tie back to only three of his love and victims, despite him confessing to all of the cases because of the statute of limitations. The statute of limitation for some cases is as short as six months. That's so fucked right? up. While some serious criminal offenses have no limit and can be filed at any time, even after the even decades after the crime occurred. Well, thank God that the police were so, like, forward-thinking, like you said, and did that arrest warrant for John yeah. Doe's DNA sample. Yeah. So most statutes of limitation range from one to eight years. 
At the time, sexual assault in Utah had as little as a four-year statute of limitations from the date of the crime. So fucked. So Burns also confesses to the murder of Sue Ellen Higgins and the two male murder victims in Oregon and in Arizona. Burns was charged with first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and being a felon in possession of a firearm and larceny for his crimes in Wyoming, which I don't remember the larceny. Oh, wait, I'm thinking arsony. I mean, I'm thinking thinking arson, and then I added a Y. Never mind. Yeah. Scratch that. Yeah. He pled guilty to murder and the attempted aggravated robbery. The other two cases are still ongoing investigations. Yeah, because he had two different trials, one in Utah for the rapes and then the one in Wyoming. And then the other two we will hopefully find out more about. Um, And here's just some more fuckery because we can't make this shit up. According to Burns, he wrote a letter to the FBI uh, confessing to the series of his crimes, which when I initially read that, I'm like, ooh. But then I found out that he wrote these letters in 2019 after he had already been arrested. So fuck off. It doesn't count. Burns said he reported 10 to 12 sexual assaults to the FBI, saying one of those assaults took place in Laramie, while others had occurred in eight other states. What? We don't have eight states worth of information. No, we don't. There are so many more victims out there. right? North Carolina. Arizona, Oregon, and Utah. Yeah. So... And, and so, and he has known connections in Arizona, Idaho, even parts of Canada. So the potential victim pool is like unbelievable. Um, and, and we suspect that his appetite for cruelty is insatiable, right? So the police department stated, quote, because of the grievous and brutal nature of these crimes, detectives believes that the, believe that there are more victims and do not believe Mr. Burns suddenly stopped committing such heinous crimes in 2001, end quote. Ditto. Yeah. Investigators believe that Burns used his trucking route as a cover to commit his crimes. I 100% agree. For a second, I forgot he was driving trucks. Yeah. yeah. But but he says that's not true. Well, I don't... So, speaking of his appetite and M.O., Fun fact, M.O. is slang for modus operandi, which is the way or pattern in which a repeat criminal usually commits his or her crime. I'm so happy you had to say those big words and not me. (laughs) So Burns, um, so speaking of his appetite and M.O., Burns reported to police that, quote, I didn't pick my victims, just whoever left the door unlocked, end quote. Um, And then... He goes on to say, I had this compulsion. It was irresistible. We've heard all this before. On the one hand, it was the hunger that was unquenchable, unsatisfiable. But on the other hand, it fed me. It made me feel complete. Talk end quote. I know. Fuck off, Burns. <laughs> so, in fact, many of Burns' victims, like Sarah said before, they lived in apartment complexes with sliding glass doors. So, investigators believe that his victims were, in fact, random. I mean, and if you think about it, like that case where that woman had her daughter, her brother, and then her son that showed up, like, why would you have picked a home with three grown men living inside who were all at home? That is not... that doesn't make any sense. No. So, it's an incredibly unlikely target for a rapist. However, it does make sense if someone was just brazenly jiggling door handles until one opened up. Which, yeah. So, let's talk about sentencing. 
because there was a lot going on here. So Burns was sentenced to life in prison without parole for the 2001 murder of Sue Ellen Higgins in Evingston, Wyoming. The ruling dashed his hopes of receiving the death penalty. Judge Joseph Bumel agreed with prosecutors that the death sentence would not be an appropriate punishment for the crime. Now, I agree and disagree. Um, I, I don't necessarily like the death penalty, um, but I mean, this man cannot be rehabilitated, no, no, right? Absolutely not. But then the death penalty feels a little too swift. And yeah, and it's what he wants. Like, and it's what he fucking yeah. wants. I don't want to give him what he wants. No, he doesn't. Not that I have that. any say in any of this, but um, I say give him life in prison to hopefully reflect on, you know, the douchery, the cowardice life that he led and all the innocent lives that he has traumatized, you know, because of his own greed and, and, and fuck you, Burns. Just fuck you very much. So, as I said before, this man could just fuck all the way off. All the way off. So, he was ordered to pay $7,200 of restitution to Higgins' family for the cost of the funeral and the carpet replacement in the home. As for Sean Higgins, who was arrested and falsely accused for the murder of his wife, Judge Blumel said he could not compensate him for more than $70,000 he paid in legal defense fees. Which sounds like it would be the state that have to, would have to reimburse yeah. those fees since they brought the charges that were bogus. So, yeah. As for the rape charges in Utah, remember, Burns was charged with 17 crimes, but they were only for three of the 11 rape victims, even though he had confessed to all of the cases. So, the judge in that case, 2nd District Judge John Morris, sentenced Burns to 14 sentences of 16 years to life and three sentences of six years to life, all to be served consecutively. So consecutively means one after the other. Altogether, the sentences add up to 242 years. That is so fucking long. So Burns was given the opportunity to speak to the judge and his survivors, although his court appearance was through teleconference from a David, Davis County jail due to the COVID-19 concerns. Burns' face turned red as he delivered his statement of apology. Quote, When I look back at the things that I had done, it makes me sick to my stomach. The reason I say this is, I want my victims to know that when I tell them I'm sorry, I mean it. Fuck no. I realize that saying I'm sorry doesn't fix what I did. Pleading guilty and going to prison doesn't fi fix what I did. But it's all I could do for them. Unquote. He became choked up and covered his hands with his face. He asked the judge for no mercy and expressed discomfort having to face his victims. Shut up. Well, you know what? I bet they faced some discomfort of their own. Absolutely. Uh, so, so here's uh, a clip of him asking for no mercy. No mercy. I'm going to ask the court, show me no mercy. Said so deserve that. Yeah, no, fuck. I yeah. sorry, I can't I can't I please continue so I don't say And <laughs> I read that he tried to silence his victims at his sentencing, but that was shut the fuck down. Good. Throughout the rest of the hearing he remained stoic while listening to victim impact statements from some of his survivors. However, for Burns victims, his inept apology rang hollow. It, it runs rings hollow rings rings hollow for me too. <laughs> One of his victims stated, quote, if he had truly been remorseful, 
he would have turned himself in years ago, unquote. The woman said she lived in fear for 19 years, oh. worrying that the man sitting in traffic next to her might be the one who broke into her apartment on July 29th, 2000, and brutally sexually assaulted her multiple times over a two-hour period. Quote, let him be in prison for the rest of his life. He had his freedom for the past two decades. Let, let's end his freedom here and now, unquote. He, and, you know, that's something I didn't even think about, is that these weren't just, like, he broke in and was there for... 15 minutes. He was there for long periods of time. With each of his victims. Yeah. So the one victim whose name has been released, Nicole Erie, uh, was Burns' youngest victim at age 11, like we said before. So she was not allowed to address Burns directly because this court case wasn't about her because of the statute of limitations on her case had run out. Um, But she was able to have her, her letter read. So she said that she remembered Burns breaking into her Riverdale apartment through the sliding glass door. She said Burns then took her from the apartment in his car and raped her in the back seat um, at knife point. And I actually have some audio. Um, Let's listen in her own words uh, to what she had to say. I said, I want you to remember that you told me not to bother to tell anyone that you would never be caught. I did it anyway because I'm stronger than you. It may have taken 28 years, but we are here today. You were wrong, and Detective Peterson was right. It was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when. It's just, oh, I keep getting chills. Um, She continued to say, this I don't have audio on, but I I wanted to read it. Just to kind of give everyone an idea of the impact. Um, So she, quote, I was only 11 years old. There was so much pain. I didn't think my small body could handle it. He made me deal with adult problems as a child, end quote. Um, And this trauma tore her family apart. Um, Her mother wrote a statement that was read at the the trial um, that her daughter had to undergo several surgeries to heal from that brutal sexual assault. Additionally, for three years after the assault, Nicole had to be tested for HIV virus, And in 1992, I mean, AIDS, the AIDS virus was killing 90% of those who who had it. And there was one day that sticks out in in her memory um, where the doctor called and left a message for the family. And she was convinced that that meant that the test had come back positive, which it didn't. But just the fear from that, I I can't even imagine. So Nicole stated, quote, The day he was caught, I felt a a weight lift off my shoulders that I had never realized was there because I was carrying it for so long. I had never been, I have, I have, sorry, this is so hard to read. I have been in every hearing since he was arrested. To me, he was a faceless shadow and I have finally put a face to it. And I do want to play one more um, of her audio clips. That's a great feeling never to have to look over my shoulder again. In prison, it's not going to be easy. And part of me wishes that he would experience the same things that he made us go through. Yeah, I agree with you, lady. Oh. Another survivor who asked for her name to remain private addressed Burns directly in court. She recounted a brutal rape to the courtroom, saying it left her with decades worth of trauma and difficulty with trusting people. 
You can't stand me wearing anything, not even my socks. You rob me of my virginity, safety, and sleep. Since that traumatic night, I have never again slept the night ever. The bravest thing I ever did was continuing my life when I wanted to die. He gave me a life sentence, but he himself was free to live his life. It, it's it's so upsetting listening to these survivors and um i'm actually happy that he had to sit there and listen yeah to these these tales and how it impacted them so one more survivor addressed the court and read her impact statement telling the court and burns about what the crime had done to her family um now in this specific one burns claims that he believed that this victim was 18 or 19 at the age of the rape um but she was 14. Jeez. So she stated, quote, I was 14 year olds and I was 14 years old and had no concept of sex. End quote. During the attack, the victim said that her mother and younger sister were sleeping in nearby bedrooms and her father had fallen asleep watching TV in the basement. She said the pain of the experience was something she had never experienced before. Um, and she said that she was able to free herself shortly after Burns left her home. So it sounds like he also bound her as well. Yeah. So after that, she woke up her parents. They reported the crime and went to Memorial Hospital of Sweetwater County to have an examination. DNA samples retrieved would ultimately tie Burns to the crime. She expressed her gratitude to the Rock Springs Police Department and specifically mentioned retired Sergeant Tim Robinson for continuing the work that be you know it, i mean it had become a cold case yeah she said the trauma of the night didn't end when burns left or the su- subsequent investigation the victim said she felt like he watched her for years following the assault and still wakes up um in a terror um around the same time that burns had entered her room nearly 30 years ago her family's relationship has changed as well um saying that she and her father lost their faith after the assault the family struggled to keep the event hidden from her younger sister. Um, and then it says um, her mother wouldn't live to see the day that Burns was arrested and brought to justice. So <clears throat> she now has children of her own and she says that she struggles. Um, like, should she tell them what had happened to her? Um, you know, she, she just doesn't know like what her children should know and shouldn't know. And I completely get that as a mother. And then she says that she's also been dealing with a scary sort of depression and some of the evidence that was taken, um, such as a quilt from, from her grandmother that her grandmother had made for her. I mean, those are never going to be returned to the family. So she's losing like heirlooms. The victim recognizes that the crime is one where Burns sought power over her but said that she saved her family um, by enduring the assault. That's so horrible that a 14-year-old has to think that she saved her family by enduring this and coping with the trauma and shame she experienced afterwards. And she said to Burns, quote, you do not have any power over me, end quote. So at least two other survivors wanted to address Burns in court, but they could not attend due to COVID-19 travel restrictions. In that case, Burns raped a mother and daughter in their own home while forcing the rest of the family to watch. So one woman stated to the court, quote, none of us survivors have to look over our shoulder to wonder where he is. 
what is he doing? Is he behind me at the grocery store? He's never going to haunt us again. And that is a wonderful feeling. I just cannot believe how luck lucky he's been. And I think it's about time his luck ran out. True. True. The foresight and dedication of cold case detectives and local authorities in keeping the two-state investigation alive for nearly 30 years, despite a number of apparent dead ends, should be commemorated. Mark Douglas Burns, the long-haul truck driver from Ogden, Utah, is currently sitting in the Utah State Prison for his heinous crimes against dozens of victims, if not more. One of his victims said it best when she told Burns at sentencing. May you live in fear in your cage. For posts and photos regarding this case, you can find us on Instagram at Unreasonable True Crime, Facebook at True Crime Unreasonable Doubt. You can also follow us on Twitter and TikTok for upcoming episodes. Yeah, and so like we said in our last episode, we're going to start adding some phone numbers at the end. So if you or someone you know needs assistance, please call one of these 24-7 toll-free national hotlines, which I promise I will eventually put on our Facebook. So the domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. The National Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673. The National Human Trafficking Hotline is 1-888-373-7888. And and there's also a 24-7 hotline called Child Help. Now, this is only for information and questions about child abuse. This is not to report child abuse. If you need to report child abuse, then you need to find your local child protective services in your in your area. But the number for them is 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-422-4453. And then lastly, there is this new brand new, new brand new uh, trans lifeline at one 565 8860. That's 1-877-565-8830. This is like a test. See, this is a test for my dyslexia at the end of each podcast. So uh, please jot them down or at least check out our Facebook and like screenshot these numbers because sadly you you never know if and when you may need these numbers in, in the future. Yep. So thanks for joining, uh, joining us. Catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.